Louise McSharry on 2FM. Just could not be more delighted to be joined by political correspondent for the Irish Examiner, the Beyonce of Derry, it's Aoife Moore. Good morning. Good morning. Aoife, congratulations, big announcement this week. Thank you. You're writing a book. I'm writing a book. The book is coming. Yeah. And I saw that your publisher referred to it as the definitive, I believe, is the book that you... Yeah, no pressure. The definitive definitive book book on Sinn Féin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no pressure, guys. <laughs> I have no doubt that you will be absolutely fantastic. Congratulations Thanks on that. So much. Now, we have loads of news to talk about, so we might as well get stuck in. We are still... I, it's funny, though. Actually, our top story this it's, week is COVID. It's the end of an era. Yeah, I think this... Maybe... Maybe... Maybe next week it won't be? Yeah, this is an end of an era. So it was announced uh, this week that press conferences held by NAFIT are going to come to a permanent end. Permanent. Permanent end later this month. Yeah. So obviously everyone knows the NAFIT briefing when we go through the figures and we have Dr Tony Hillahan and a number of other NAFIT officials. Um, That's going to end. But basically they've said that they're going to go into something called surveillance mode. Um, they haven't had a briefing um, since the 24th of August and they reckon by when the restrictions loosen uh, on October 22nd, when uh, also the nightclubs reopen, mm-hmm. um, that, that'll that be the end of it, basically. And I'm sure he's a lovely person, but if I never see Dr. Tony Hulham again, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be too soon. Know, I think the feeling is probably mutual. Yeah. Like, that was definitely when I interviewed Ronan Glynn, who's obviously his deputy, mm-hmm. that was like it wasn't the vibe he explicitly said I do not want Mm. (laughs) to be in front of cameras anymore yeah I don't think anyone becomes a doctor thinking they're going to become a TV doctor and they're not TV doctors but like you know what I mean they're kind of like thrust under the limelight and like they do have this like weird kind of not celebrity but like public figure Yeah. but basically as more and more people get vaccinated and we know that we talked last week that you know we're not having like kids isolating or anything so they're obviously they're still going to be in effort it's going to be scaled back because everyone on effort already has another job so it's not like they've lost their job. They've done this out of like the goodness of their hearts, basically. They advise the government. But basically, it'll be scaled back. Those people will go back to their regular jobs and there'll be a smaller team. Dr. Tony Hohan, Ronan Glenn, people like that. They're still going to advise the government. But the big nighttime briefing with Dr. Tony Hohan telling us that we can't go two kilometres away from our house, all that is finally coming to an end. I'm like, I was just saying in my intro, I am still, like, when I think about that, I find it hard to get my head around but it was really recent it's yeah it's mad how quickly you revert back to normal life and it's yeah. like it never happened yeah. I remember going out running and working out where 5k was and running exactly to the 5k and then exactly 5k back because we were only allowed you know your 5k yeah. radius it's when you think about it now it's totally insane that's a good 10k run for fair play to you oh they closed the gyms what was I supposed <laughs> to do <laughs> Well, let me tell you, I was not doing 10K runs, so there are other (laughs) options. Um, Okay, uh, what's going on in Australia? Because obviously Australia has had a different kind of journey of late Mm -hmm. when it comes to COVID. Yeah, this is really good news. Um, I know um, I lived in Australia. I think it's a rite of passage for most Irish people to have lived in Australia at one point in their life. But basically, Australia is to reopen its borders from next month. Um, Scott Morrison, uh, after 18 months of you know their borders being closed they're reopening so that vaccinated Australians can return home and travel overseas once they had 80% vaccination Mm. there are 30,000 Australians who are currently stranded in different countries and I know I'm sure nearly every single person listening to this has family or friends in Australia who want to come home and see their family my best friend had a baby Last year, none of us have seen the baby. And my friend Brianna hasn't been home to see her family and she's from Sydney. So 
they're getting to go home. Um, they're just waiting for their vaccination rates. Obviously, Australia is very far away and they started vaccinating a lot later. Yeah. So they're getting up there. And basically, I think a lot of it's to do they need the money from tourism as well. Obviously, yeah. Australia runs on tourism too. But it's really, really good news. Um, the flights will still be scarce and they will be very expensive. I have no doubt about that. But it is a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel for yeah. people that want to come home or go to Australia. A step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, okay, now let's talk about Mika. Um, this yep. situation is ongoing. Yeah, so um, for people who don't know, Micah is a mineral. Micah, sorry. Yeah, Micah sang the Micah song Grace, sang Grace Kelly. Kelly. Micah, Micah is a mineral. Building material. Yeah. <laughs> so um, around the time of the Celtic Tiger, um, there was blocks, you know, building blocks that build, you build houses with, um, were built with this uh, mineral called uh, Micah and Micah absorbs water. Um, they built a lot of houses in Donegal and Mayo in the west of Ireland during the Celtic Tiger with these bricks when they absorb water I can only describe it as like Weedabix. The brick, you can crumble it in your hands. So there's thousands and thousands of houses that have been built with this, these defective blocks. The houses are now falling apart and as the winters get colder and more rain and wind, they're disintegrating. This has been an ongoing issue since 2014. Basically, the government said that they would have a redress scheme in which the government would give money to fix the houses. Um, the families were told they would get 90% from the government and they would provide 10%. That is not the case. The scheme has basically all but fallen apart. The families now don't really trust the government and they've been calling for 100% redress. Um, and the way the people in Donegal and Mayo have said it is like, someone is going to die. You know, there are a lot of houses here that like in a bad storm could fall. There are people who are pensioners, parents with children with additional needs, like a million different stories of the people who live in these houses. The working group had a report that came out this week and the working group report found that the bill could be 3.2 billion, mm. up to 3.2 billion to fix the affected homes. The housing minister, Dara O'Brien, hasn't made a decision yet about 100% redress. That's what the families are calling for. It looks like it'll be 100% redress up to a certain house price. You know, well, there was 350,000 was mentioned during the week, then half a million was mentioned during the week. Mm. So there hasn't been a decision made, but this was the working group report and they said it would be 3.2 billion. And I know a lot of people don't understand, you know, why you have to pay for other people's houses. But the issue is the building regulations to stop these blocks being used to build houses were not strong enough. Mm. And then the buck stops with the state because if the building regulations aren't strong enough, then it's the government that has to deal mm. with it at the end because it's it's their fault, basically. OK, so we'll have to watch and see what happens there. Mm -hmm. um, now, as we discussed, October 22nd is when nightclubs will open properly. But there was a little event this week. There was an event in the Button Factory. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the videos of the Minister for the Arts, Catherine Martin, on yeah, the decks. I did, she didn't yeah. play Maniac. I was devastated. Uh, <laughs> Love to see Catherine Martin dance to Maniac. Um, <laughs> so nightclubs, yeah. So they had a pilot event in the Button Factory. You had to be fully vaccinated and you had to have uh, an antigen test before you went. I think it got a bit of a bad rap because at around 10 past nine, RTE and Virgin Media went down with their cameras and they filmed a nightclub at 10 past nine on like a Thursday night. And it kind of reminded me of like, you know, the start of an 18th. Yeah. <laughs> like, like maybe yeah, seven people. Yeah, like seven people on the dance floor. <laughs> no one's really drunk enough. But anyway, this is a pilot event because nightclubs are going to reopen now on the 22nd of October. Um, they're actually... 
it was quite there was quite a funny moment on Morning Ireland. They had um the DJ who was DJing uh, at the nightclub event, and I think Anya Lawler asked him if people could shift. <laughs> But yeah, twenty second wow. of October, you'll have to be vaccinated to be indoors. But I it was mean, a- it's not, I suppose, given the situation, it's not an unreasonable question. But how would you stop that? I know. They. I remember. I pay a lot of attention to Scottish news because I used to live in Scotland for years, and there was talk at the start that they might make people wear masks in nightclubs. And I was like, God, I could have avoided so many bad shifts if I just <laughs> had a mask on. But to be clear, there is no restriction around no restriction. shifting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Shifting you want. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Make good choices. Yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, we have to discuss some appalling news this week as uh, evidence came out about Wayne Cousins' murder of Sarah Everard. Yeah, so um, 33-year-old Sarah Everard um, was murdered <clears throat> on the 3rd of March. She was walking home and her murderer, Wayne Cousins, um, was sentenced this week. He was a Metropolitan Police Officer and although everything about this case is incredibly disturbing, um, it came out during the sentencing that Wayne Cousins um, kidnapped Sarah by using his um, front as a police officer. He pretended to arrest her. He handcuffed her um, in Clapham, on a road in Clapham. People actually saw what happened and assumed that Sarah had done something wrong. He used the guise of COVID regulations and said that she had broken um, COVID regulations and he then, he had rented a car, drove her miles and miles away um, and murdered her. And I'm sure everyone saw Sarah's mother's uh, victim impact statement, mm. which was honestly like one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever read. Yeah. And Wayne Cousins um, was set, given a life sentence and it was, it's a different kind of life sentence. Basically, he will die in jail. Um, Sarah Everard's family said they felt better, obviously, knowing that he would die in jail, that he's been off the streets. It's the first time a police officer has ever been given such a sentence. But the judge said that, you know, there is a precious bond of trust, that's her word, um, with the public and the police. And that the the crime was so grotesque that there was just no way he could ever be um, allowed back in the, um, the public. And also there a lot came out as well that this was known about this man. You know, there was a number of allegations made against him before. His nickname at a different police force was the rapist because he made his female colleagues feel so uncomfortable at work. Um, there had been instances of indecent exposure um, a number of reports made about him and they were just not followed up. Mm. Um, so it started a wider conversation, you know, about the police and the blind trust that some people put into the police. And I think that's the thing that it's most jarring the woman when you're reading about this is that if you were stopped by a policeman, um, for a lot of people, they would just go along with it. Yeah. And Sarah went along with it because she trusted straight away that he was a policeman and his, uh, his intentions must have been good. And that is, Honestly, like I think the most horrific thing about it is like yeah. imagine how scared she must have been when she realised. It's very hard to even think about. Um, so the fact that it's a reality is is stomach turning, and you can only imagine how her family must feel, um, and her friends, and everyone who knew her, and indeed everyone who lives in that area of London, yeah. and indeed every woman in Everywhere. the UK and all around the world. Um, it's absolutely awful, but. Uh, Good to have that sentencing over and done with. Um, Now, uh, quickly before I let you go, the BBC did a report this week on giving birth under the Taliban, which is horrendous. Yeah, I would actually um, urge everyone to read this um, if you haven't read it yet. But the BBC done a very long report about um, people giving birth um, under the Taliban. And I 
cannot imagine how awful and you know you're vulnerable anyway but basically um the hospitals are at 43 degrees um the midwife said like they're sweating like they're in a shower um there is no fuel uh, there's no power there's no fuel for the generators and um, there's very little medical equipment um because of the rule under the Taliban um if there has to be a man, if there's a male doctor, there has to be other people in the room because a woman cannot be on their own. Um, one woman in Afghanistan dies in childbirth every two hours. The level of infant and uh, mortality is incredibly high. They're now terrified about the number of uh, 4.8 million unintended pregnancies and twice as many people who won't be able to access family planning clinics between now and 2025. Um, we know, obviously, that since the American government have pulled out of Afghanistan and the Taliban have taken over again, um, they pretended at first they were a different Taliban and that they had, you know, no issue with women. And we find now that women and women's rights do not matter. Um, access to life-saving supplies, medicines, all that's been cut off because, again, the West does not want to fund anything to do with Afghanistan because of the Taliban, but then it is always the most vulnerable people in conflict zones that then suffer. So there isn't medical supplies, things as easy as, you know, hand sanitizer and bandages and whatever else are incredibly scarce because you can see why the West doesn't want to fund, you know, anything to do with the Taliban. Yeah. But then there are women and children now dying in Afghanistan because that aid can't get there. Yeah, it's awful. Absolutely awful. But as you said, it's well worth reading that report. Um, it was a BBC report. Um, so if I say if you Google giving birth under the Taliban and BBC, you'll get it easily. Aoife, I'm sorry we had to end on that note, but it is important to make ourselves aware of these things, I think. Yeah, we never really have happy stories, but... Well, we had some good ones today. Yeah, we, we had did. the walrus one. And <laughs> nightclub, pilot scheme, nightclub, Catherine, Catherine Martin, Martin on the decks. Catherine Martin singing mania. Nefit briefings to end. Australia opening their borders. We had some good stuff today. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to be more positive. Aoife <laughs> <laughs> Moore, a political correspondent from the Irish Examiner. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. us through all those. Louise McSherry on 2FM.